0: Welcome back to Plane Crash Diaries with me, your host and pilot, Desmond Latham. In this episode, we'll look at in-air breakups of aeroplanes caused by poor flying, poor design, poor maintenance, bad weather, and in some cases, all four of these together. However, as with all things aviation, every accident leads to an equal and opposite reaction, to misquote the great Sir Isaac Newton. That reaction, luckily for us, is called aviation safety standards. The terrible truth is that people die then safety improves. So let's start with 32-year-old Charles Rolls. He was one half of the great Rolls-Royce engine company, but his end was rather unfortunate. He was killed when the tail of his Wright Flyer aircraft fell off in 1910 in Bournemouth and thus was unceremoniously ushered into aviation history as the first to die in a British air accident. And he was one of the first Englishmen to die in what became known as an air breakup. The Wright Flyer was a copy of the original Wright Brothers plane that flew at Kitty Hawk in 1903. That didn't stop Rolls-Royce from turning into developing the world's top turbine engines, but it put paid to the Wright Flyer, which was largely out of date anyway by then, and Rolls' demise proved it was not really built to last. Probably the most famous of all in-air breakups involved the notorious De Havilland Comet, it took three catastrophic failures all within a year before the airliner was grounded. Launched by BOAC in 1952, the Comet was the world's first jet airliner and was an attractive plane as well. Aviation buffs swooned over its swept back look. The modern jet liner was born and it could fly right across the Atlantic without a stop. However, it had a serious flaw, the windows and doors. At that time, the way in which aircraft fuselage expanded and contracted due to the huge pressure differences was not well known and the engineers built a defect into the comet. It had rectangular windows. We now know all plane windows are rounded in shape and that's for a reason and you can thank the comet for the safer windows we enjoy on board our commercial flights these days. In 1953 and 1954, three comets broke up soon after takeoff, killing everyone on board. Two of these breakups took place over the Mediterranean while the plane was climbing to its cruising altitude and a third crashed in a thunderstorm in a flight from Calcutta to Delhi in India. In January and April 1953, the two that crashed in the Med took off from the same airport, Rome's Ciampino. At first, there were thoughts about sabotage, perhaps explosives. However, after the comet crashed in India, the plane was grounded. An extensive program that followed has since been copied in many plane crash investigations. The probe was led by Sir Arnold Hall, who was director of the Royal Aircraft Establishment at Farnborough. Engineers rebuilt the recovered wrecks on the ground and then subjected the hull of a new jet to pressurization tests in a massive water tank. Rebuilding wrecks on the ground is now standard practice. Eventually, Sir Arnie and his team of boffins discovered what had been going wrong. Cracks developed in the fuselage around the doors and window apertures as the plane was subjected to pressure changes mimicking takeoffs and landings. The rivets around the doors and windows could not take the stretching forces and all three planes had literally blown apart at the seams in mid-air. Doors that were rounded were fitted similar to what we now see on all aircraft while the windows were also changed. The comet was redesigned and then renamed the Nimrod, which continued flying more than 60 years after the maiden comet flight in 1949. Used mainly by the military, the Nimrod continued in various forms until 2011, deployed as an advanced and dedicated airborne early warning platform and maritime patrol aeroplane. Across the Atlantic, aviation engineers in the United States were watching the terrible comet crashes with a great deal of interest. Britain may have launched the first commercial jet, but America was going to make air travel its own. Boeing and Douglas were the two manufacturers to benefit from the new safety rule of building with round doors and windows. Engineers in the U.S. took note of the new designs and were able to incorporate these into the hugely successful jetliners made by Boeing and Douglas that were to dominate not just transatlantic but global long-distance services. As some have said, it was the passengers of the three comets who paid for Boeing and Douglas's research with their lives. We will leap forward to the 1980s for our next example. One of the most incredible in-air failures ended with almost everyone surviving. In April 1988, part of the fuselage of an Aloha 737 flying from Hilo to Honolulu shredded at 24,000 feet. And flight attendant was unfortunately swept overboard. But everyone else survived. Imagine sitting in the open air with nothing between you and the ocean except for a safety belt. The Boeing 737 had reportedly experienced more than 89,000 repressurization changes, takeoffs, landings, and so on. This led directly to the Federal Aviation Authority setting up the National Aging Aircraft Research Program. Testing defects in design, the effect of corrosion, resonances in different metals, and so on, the aircraft structural test evaluation and research facility was launched. Predicting where and after how long structures would fail due normally to repetition helped increase safety in aviation. That may be so, but it took a 1991 accident to kickstart a proper global culture of aviation safety. That was the mid-air breakup of the Continental Express Flight 2574 and Embraer 120 Brasilia, was a scheduled domestic passenger airline flight operated by BRIT Airways from Laredo International Airport in Laredo, Texas, to Houston Intercontinental Airport, or IAH, in Houston, Texas. With terrible timing for later events, it was September 11, 1991, the Embraer crashed, killing all 14 people on board. The aircraft wreckage hit an area near Eagle Lake, Texas, which is around 65 kilometers south-southwest of Houston. Initial reports suggested a bomb was the cause of the plane coming apart, but the National Transportation Safety Board found the real cause was missing screws on the horizontal stabilizer. It's always horrible to consider that the crew, consisting of Captain 29-year-old Brad Partridge and First Officer 43-year-old Clint Radosevich, together with 33-year-old flight attendant Nancy Reed, did nothing wrong. Both Partridge and Radosevich were experienced pilots with 4,243 flight hours and around 11,540 flight hours, respectively. So the EMB 120 took off at just before 10 past 9 in the morning of 11th September. They were cleared to cruise at 25,000 feet. A few minutes after 10, after reaching the cruising altitude, Houston Air Route Traffic Control Center reassigned 24,000 feet. Then, as it continued descending for Houston Intercontinental Airport through 11,500 feet and at around 260 knots, the leading edge of the left horizontal stabilizer separated from the airframe. The plane pitched down dramatically, rolling around its axis and the left wing folded like cardboard. The fuel escaped and ignited. Mercifully, it is believed all passengers and the pilots lost consciousness in the massive G-forces that were produced in that spin. The crippled aircraft fell in southeast Texas, exploding on impact, and the wreckage was spread over almost four square miles, some even making it to the Colorado River many miles away. It was the maintenance crew who were to blame. The previous evening, they were working on the stabilizers But there had been a shift change, and the screws that were removed from the horizontal stabilizer had not been replaced. This led to a major change in safety inspections before, during, and after maintenance. The FAA conducted a National Aviation Safety Inspection Program, or NASIP, of Continental Express Maintenance Program itself. Because the failure to inspect the parts after the shift changeover was recorded, NASIP processes were then regarded as deficient overall. The big change linked to the in-air breakup of this plane was the dramatic turning point in safety culture in the United States, which had a knock-on effect worldwide. Safety culture became the watchword then, in April 2000, the Wendell H. Ford Aviation Investment and Reform Act for the 21st Century, or to put it shortly, AIR-21, was launched. The most important part of the bill was the inclusion of the Aircraft Safety Act of 99, which proposed to help stop the practice of manufacturing, distributing and installing fraudulent aircraft parts. I'll feature this terrible scourge in a future podcast. How grey parts have caused many accidents. Then a breakup of a plane over Peru deserves special mention at this point. As you'll hear in this series, there are many examples of a single person surviving an airplane crash, and this is one of them. Today, we hear about the extraordinary story of Julianne Kopka. She was 17 years old and sitting in the window seat next to her mother on board a Lancer aircraft flight 508 from Lima in Peru to Pucallpa in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. Their final destination was a town further on called Iquitos. It was Christmas Eve 1971 and Julianne had just written an exam. More about that in a moment. Lancer Flight 508 was a Lockheed L-188A electric turboprop, registered Oscar Bravo Romeo 941, and operated by Lineas Eras Nacionales Sociedad Anonima, or Lancer for short. The plane took off from Lima, then flew into a thunderstorm just over the Andes. The storm was accompanied by turbulence. It's thought that a bolt of lightning then struck one of the fuel tanks, which exploded, tearing off the right wing. The Lockheed went into a spin and disintegrated. All 91 of the 92 passengers and crew were killed, except for Julianne Kopke. The German teenager was thrown out of the plane, still strapped to her seat, or as filmmaker Werner Herzog said, she didn't leave the plane, the plane left her. Julianne remembered later how she fell head first with the seatbelt digging in her stomach and a canopy of trees spiralling up towards her. Then she lost consciousness, but woke up the next morning on the floor of the rainforest. She had dropped two miles through the air and had a broken collarbone, a gash on her leg, a small cut on her arm, and mild concussion. But she could walk. Julianne had a much bigger problem. She was stuck in the middle of the rainforest with only a small bag of sweets. Worse, her glasses had been lost and she couldn't tell the difference between a leaf and a wriggling snake. But she knew quite a bit about jungles. Even as a 17-year-old, you see, Julianne was the only child of biologist Hans-Wilhelm Kupke and ornithologist Maria Kupka. When Julianne was just 14, her parents left Lima to establish a research station in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. She became what's known as a jungle child and learned survival techniques. But German educational authorities disapproved and ordered the family to send her back to Deutsche Schule in Lima to take her examinations, which she did a few days before the crash. It was because of the German demand she write exams in Lima that the child of the jungle ended up falling into the jungle upside down. Of course, she was now surrounded by a long list of animals, plants and insects that were deadly. Somehow she managed to survive for 10 days and was eventually found by forest workers on January 3, 1972. She had no shoes, no boots, no machete, no glasses. Really an incredible story. By the way, Kupka became an international sensation. The young German then decided it was all too much and then literally disappeared from public view in 1973. But she emerged in 2011 when her memoir of the crash called When I Fell from the Sky was published. Julianne is still alive and is a mammologist who specializes in bats and lives, I hope, a quiet life as a librarian at the Bavarian State Collection of Zoology in Munich. While the lightning strike, which is still known as the deadliest in aviation history, it's also an example of poor decisions by the aircrew. Instead of diverting because of thunderstorms, which other aircraft had done, the Lancer captain decided to continue because of pressure to meet the holiday schedule. It's called get thereitis in aviation. Get there even when it's wiser to wait. We'll have a couple of these examples in future podcasts too. Peruvian investigators cited intentional flight into hazardous weather conditions as a cause of the crash. There's another I have to mention, and it involved something known as clean air turbulence, which led to an in-air breakup of a commercial airliner. In the case of BOAC Flight 911, call sign Speedbird 911, clean air turbulence produced an estimated 7.5 Gs that caused the Boeing to disintegrate over Mount Fuji in Japan on the 5th of March 1966. Clean air turbulence will be covered in a future podcast, but needless to say, there's no warning. All 113 passengers and 11 crew perished. The Boeing was still climbing out of Tokyo and had reached 16,000 feet when it hit the massive clean air turbulence flying at 370 knots. Analysis of the wreckage allowed the accident investigators to determine that the vertical stabilizer attachment to the fuselage failed. Then the port side horizontal stabilizer failed as the plane spun to the left. A short time later, the ventral fin and all four engine pylons failed, followed by the remainder of the empanage. The aircraft entered a flat spin with a forward fuselage section and the outer starboard wing breaking off shortly before impact with the ground. An 8mm film exposed by one of the passengers was recovered from the wreckage. It showed pictures of the Tanzawa Mountains and Lake Yamanaka, followed by two empty frames and then apparent images of the aircraft's interior before ending abruptly. Tests suggested that the two empty frames may be been the result of structural loads of at least 7.5 Gs momentarily jamming the camera's feeding mechanism. Investigators did find stress cracks in parts of the tail assembly, but even without the cracks, the plane would have broken apart. What really put pay to the Boeing was the wind and Mount Fuji. High winds blowing over the 12,388-foot peak meant tricky air currents in the vicinity. I've hit winds flying over mountains, in one case, past the Michalisburg Mountains in South Africa's Gauteng province. I was cruising at around 140 knots on the leeward side, more than five nautical miles away and 2,000 feet above the peaks. Suddenly, the plane rolled viciously 60 degrees to the right, hit by turbulence. I'd struck clean air turbulence courtesy of the mountains and have never forgotten the experience. That was what is known as mountain waves, and all pilots are wary of strong winds and flying in the vicinity of mountains, particularly downwind, where currents eddy and whirl like powerful ocean waves around rocks. The BOAC flight, though, had other strange facts. The plane took off less than 24 hours after Canadian Pacific Airlines Flight 402 crashed and burnt on landing at Tokyo's Haneda Airport, in fact, In a chilling moment, passengers on the BOAC Speedbird Flight 911 had looked out on the still-smouldering wreckage of Flight 402 immediately before taking off for their last flight. And the victims included a group of 75 Americans working for the Thermo King Company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They were on a two-week company-sponsored tour of Japan and Southeast Asia. There were 26 couples traveling together in the group, and 63 children were orphaned as a result of that accident. In a macabre coincidence, five passengers canceled their tickets at the last moment to see a ninja demonstration. They were researching a movie. The five were in Japan, scouting locations for the fifth James Bond film called You Only Live Twice. Yes, truth is stranger than fiction. With that slightly ominous fact ringing in our ears, it's time to end. Please check out the blog Plane Crash Diaries, which I'm sprucing up at the moment. You can send me messages through the site. Next episode, we will cover fires in flight, and one of the examples will include South African Airways Flight 295, a Boeing 747 that some say was carrying questionable cargo, which caught fire, leading to a separation of the tail section and an in-flight breakup. Once again, changes were made. IATA a move to end the practice of flying passengers on board aircraft that would also carry cargo, the so-called Boeing combi type. So until then, aviate, navigate and communicate safely.